Oh, thank you, worship team. That's some rich truth we're singing and proclaiming this morning. If you turn to Psalm 78, we're going to read part of a psalm that is just rich in what it shouts to us and exhorts us. It's a, really a prayer of Asaph. He's a prophet, a poet, who's one of David's, one of David's three chief musicians, and in this psalm, he gives us a call to attention. And so I want to read it, and we'll pray and ask God to teach us. Psalm 78, I'll read the first eight verses. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and of his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Lord, we know all scriptures God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness. We would ask, Holy Spirit, this morning that you would take your words, sink them deep in our spirit, and change us. So would you be all that you'd want us to be for the praise and glory of your name. In Jesus I pray, amen. I like my car, but one of the things it has, if maybe you can relate to this, is it has the lens over the headlight that after time it gets so dirty and foggy, I'll turn on my headlights, it's like I got none anymore. And so I got to get this compound to clean these bad boys off. And, and even my brights don't work. I mean, it's just, it's pathetic. And so yesterday I was scrubbing um, these headlights and, and I kind of forgot. And this morning I turned my lights on and lo and behold, <laughs> I could see it was amazing, and, um, but it, it wasn't just then that I noticed it. I even noticed they were cleaner more when I hit this little switch. Boom, the brights went on, and now I could see wider and farther down the road, much, much farther down the road than I could before, and that's kind of what this psalm is talking about. The psalmist is trying to get his hearers to understand and there's a repeated call here to an intentionality to hit the brights so their life would affect the next generation. Now we can see and we can live without brights because the light's just kind of right around us and we see the immediate, uh, immediate conditions and circumstances around us and, and we can focus on the immediate, but it's not until we hit that switch that we begin to focus farther down the road and we can see with greater distance. And when it comes to the next generation I'm really certain of two things. Too often it's the next generation that's not considered, reached out to, or kept before our eyes and our minds. The second thing I'm certain of is the gospel still works powerfully in any generation. And that's why we focus on it. 
And Psalm 78 is about passing the torch. How do we do that? How do we as a church hit the brights so that we shine into future generations? How do we minister in such a way that its impact is beyond the immediate, but is felt and ripples into the future? How do we do that? First of all, there's another light in my car. It's, it's right inside the car, and I hit it, and interior lights come on, and it brightens up the interior of the car. It shines on me and helps me to see that which is really close to me. And so as we think about hitting the brights to see farther down the road, as individuals, we need to hit the dome light that shines on us so we can see how we're contributing to things. You see, a church can't be corporately when it's not individually. Individually, we need to turn the dome light on this morning and look at a few things. Not the person, not the passengers in your car, but you. Okay, and so this is the challenge. Let's see how we do individually. Turn your dome light on. What are we to model? There's some very basic things, but they're very personal that we need to look inside us. First is, not surprisingly, we need to model Love. Asaph says, tell, make known some things. We need to model love. Sacrificial, Christ-like, humble love. It requires intentionality. It requires thought. You see, God's love is active. It's not passive. It's void of self. It doesn't seek to get its own way or win an argument. It puts others first. It honors others above yourself. And that's not, my, that's not my thought. That's actually from Romans 12, 10. I don't think Paul minded me borrowing his thought. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That's biblical love. 1 Peter 4, 8, even, Peter even kind of adds a word to it. He says, love one another, get a load of this, deeply. Deeply. That's personally Far beyond our thoughts, it's looking at the other person. Our hearts go out to per each person. We love each other deeply. We're quick to forgive. We love with Christ's love, and that love has a power to knock down walls. And how great is it when the young generation coming up behind us sees that kind of love? That's what we're called to model. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is no small task. It's the First Corinthians 13 type of love, and you and I are called to model it. It'd be great when our children can say to their children, I grew up in a church that was marked by love. Didn't have it all together, but boy, they sure loved one another. You see, when we love like that, it has a ripple effect. It hits the brights, and it shines down the road into the next generation. How else and what else can we model? Grace. Bob Seifert uses the phrase, I'm stealing from Bob now, be stewards of the grace of God that's lavished upon us. I love that phrase, so thanks, Bob. Grace, what do we model? We seek to understand people. It leaves room for mistakes, overlooks offenses. Obviously, Christ is the ultimate model of grace. But another, there's another specific way we exercise grace, and it's one we tend to forget about. 
but the Bible doesn't let us. Colossians 4, 6, Paul says this, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Grace. We exercise it in something we often don't think of is our speech. Ecclesiastes 10.12 says this, words from a wise man are gracious. Grace. Do we model grace? Maybe exercising grace can be grasped by what it's not. It's not harsh. Gracious words and having our, our communication and words be full of grace, it's not slanderous, it's doesn't deal with falsehoods. It doesn't hurt innocent people. That's not grace-filled living. And a church that impacts the next generation models what it looks like to grow in grace. Young people hear and see the way we speak. And are your words, as you look at the dome light that shines on you, are your words gracious? I can't help but look around. It seems every time I turn on the TV and see uh, the politicians and our culture and communicate with one another, there's one word that just emerges, combative. Isn't it? I mean, first of all, everyone's so stinking sensitive, for one. But we've become a combative culture. Nobody can have a different idea, it seems. And the way we respond to one another is far from gracious in our culture. And so that's the culture our gener this generation behind us is coming in. That's the model they see. Fight with words. That's not God's people. We're called to model grace. Everyone in this room, and everyone may be hearing my voice when you listen online, you and I can continue to choose and to act and to model love and grace. It's a choice. What will you choose? What will I choose? What will we choose? You and I get the privilege to model grace. We need to, love, we need to model love and grace. And I'm convinced there's one thing we'll never regret expressing love and grace. No one's going to get to the end of their life and say, oh, wish I wouldn't have loved so much. No one's going to get to the end of their life and say, man, I wish I wasn't so gracious with people. What was I thinking? No. We'll never regret loving people and expressing grace to them. Next generation needs to see it. They need to hear it. What else are we to model? A worshiping lifestyle. Every member is a minister. If you're a Christian, you're called a minister. We are to present ourselves to God as an act of worship. We need to model living all of life for the glory of God, serving others, caring for hurting people. Our generation needs to see, or this next generation needs to see, God's people who don't treat his church like leftovers, but makes it a priority. And that we live a worshiping lifestyle, whether it's Monday to Saturday or Sunday. And what a privilege it is to worship together. It's a high privilege. How wonderful for the next generation to see us join our hearts together in song and respond to his word. I remember when Cindy became a new Christian, part of her testimony is that uh, she decided to come uh, to, the, to the church, a different church, the church I was at at that time, and um, I, didn't even I didn't even know her. But one of the things she said to me afterwards, she said, I've never been in church and heard people sing what they mean. What an impact it had on her. 
people just didn't open the hymnal and sing what they sang they really meant. It's called worship. And you and I worship Monday to Saturday, but we also corporately get together and worship. It builds up and it communicates and invites this next generation to join in with the praises of God's people that have been long before us and will be all for all of eternity. You and I have that privilege to invite and model a worshiping lifestyle. We also have the privilege to model obedience. I'm sure you picked up in Psalm 78, verse 1, listen, incline, keep. It's talking about obedience. Biblical obedience in every area. Obedience in avoiding behaviors that God's word is clear on. Do not gossip, do not get drunk on wine, the, the do nots, do not steal or lie. But also, it speaks to obedience to those things that we are, act, we are to act upon, commandments. Go and make disciples of all nations, we're told. We're told to go build up the body. We're told to encourage one another. Obedience. It's about biblical Obedience. We're told, commanded, actually, not to neglect to meet together. And so every Sunday morning, you don't feel like getting up and you're tired, but you do, and you join together with God's people. You tell this next generation, I'm obeying a command. I'm making a priority, God's people. Don't forget that. And so you're here this morning, way to go. You're communicating something significant to the generation coming behind us. You're already applying this, and we haven't even left yet. Good job. <clears throat> Number five, what else can we model? Commitment to each other, to ministry. The next generation should not see half-hearted commitment. We need to model a stick to even when it's hard, even when it's challenging. Next generation really has an opportunity you and I have to model to them what it looks like to continue and maintain commitment through adversity. Where do they learn that? We have the privilege to teach them that. Consistent, faithful pursuit in our marriages, in our family, in our calling, in our ministry. Do you love God's church? Do you love his people? Show it by commitment. You see, when we keep a commitment, we build hope. And when we keep it, we build trust. You and I need to communicate to the next generation what commitment looks like. Every person in the body who models these impacts the next generation in a very positive way. The next generation needs models of simple faith and Christ-like living. I guess you could call it shining a light into the next generation. That's what we're all called to do. We're called to model. We're also called to invest. In other words, it's at this point we, we have the dome light shine on us and, and we look inside and say, God, how am I doing these areas? Holy Spirit, make me more loving. Help me to be more gracious. Uh, Holy Spirit, help me to be more obedient and to, and to demonstrate commitment. Help me to do that. And then, then we hit the brights corporately. And we begin to think farther down the road, a, a light that shines into a farther distance into the next generation. How do we do that? Well, we invest. I was reading through Joshua's life in the Old Testament, and I was struck by something. Israel, in order to go at what God had promised them, which was down the road, they had to put behind them some things. Disappointments, failures, and Joshua had to put aside his own. And he led people to do the same. 
And when they crossed into the promised land, it was a new day. And they began building up the community. And God didn't call them to cross the Jordan and say, oh, by the way, why don't you turn around and look at how bad things were. He said, no, there's a new day. Learn from them, but it's time to move forward. And like Joshua's day, the church continually works the past, the past, and leaves it in the past, but focuses forward. But how do we do that? How do we focus forward? One, at least I'm convinced, we build up the home. We need to teach and encourage and counsel and provide a biblical pattern and principles for the home. And today, the real facts tell us this is much different than it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago in ministry, I would be able to say build up the home, and the norm at that time, and probably the high percentage was each home had a dad and a mom. And so build up the dad, you build up the marriage, you build up the home, and it was pretty clean. 10 years later, that's not the case. There are so many homes that are fatherless. It's put moms in situations they have to work, which leaves children at home. Or there's homes where parents, because of the economy, both have to invest an enormous amount of time in vocation and schooling, and the children are left to try to figure this thing out as much as mom and dad are trying. The home is much different. And so when I say build up the home, I don't mean carelessly or flippantly just throw a couple things towards mom and dad. This requires great intentionality to do this. It requires the church be supportive, that there's an environment where lasting change can occur. To be a light, to give hope to the next generation, we must invest in building up homes. At Elam, we have women's mentoring groups. We have a BIC class, which helping equip parents or a parent to disciple their children. We have leadership training, which includes ways for dads, specifically husbands, to invest in their marriages and how to lead in the different venues that God places them. We need to build up the home. How else do we invest? We invest relationally to develop and maintain relationships. There's a great need for friendships. Men communicates the number one need in their life. Friends. We need to model for this next generation the significance of friendships. You know, just getting together, laughing together. I remember growing up, my dad would have, uh, we had a, they had a close network of friends, and it wasn't maybe every other week they had them over, or we went over and they played cards and laughed. Kids went and ran and got in trouble, and it was great. Mom and dad modeled the significance of friendships, doing things together, the significance of relationships. But even more than that, how great when the next generation looks around the church and not only sees great and growing friendships, but feel that type of relational connection from adults who take a time to kneel and give them a hug and listen to see how things are going in their life. This is not a checklist of things to do, but really engage in opportunities. Teachers and leaders at Oasis, thank you. You're modeling to this next generation a relationship connection that you care. And I know it's sacrificial. And for those adults who help with the youth ministry, children's church, all those venues and opportunities with the next generation, thank you. Your investment is not unnoticed especially in the young generation. They see it, and they won't forget it. It's significant we invest relationally in people's lives. We need to invest intentional discipleship, to invest resources, space, and time into people. 
to serve them, to live life together, pray with and teach specifically. How do we invest in the next generation's discipleship? What am I talking about? Psalm 78 actually answers the question well. Number one, if we were to intentionally disciple, we need to give them unchanging truth. Culture changes, but the truth doesn't. It's unchanging. Circumstances may change, but God's word doesn't. And I don't mean shove it down their throat. I mean to share relevant truth. And we don't need to be a theologian to do that. We share how God's taught us. We look at scripture and seek how to apply it. Remember I talked about application, the road from, or the road from knowledge to wisdom is application. We teach the next generation, here's how you apply these things. But we need to be honest. We can't communicate to the next generation, you know what, I got this thing all figured out, I know everything about the Bible, I'm live, living everything out. They know better. <laughs> they just want authentic models. Authentic people who love the truth and are seeking to apply it to their life. God's unending truth. How God's formed us. How did you develop your convictions? How did you learn to make choices you did? Share that with them. Share that with children. That, you, that you're in a process as well, but while that all changes, it's God's unchanging truth we continually come back to. It's true for every culture at every time and every place. Psalm 78, 4 this one we can overlook. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, specifically in his strength and his wondrous works he has done. We need to help, focus, help them focus on wonder and awe. We tend to forget this one. I know over the years I've asked kids who from various churches and just kind of what I got to know and, and when they're young adults, I said, tell me, tell me what your youth group experience was like if you went to church. What did you learn? And I would say a majority of the time, when they really thought it through, they say, here's two things I remember. Don't have sex and invite a friend. What do they remember? Behavior modification. That's what they remembered. Behavior modification can mark much of the focus of ministry in a home, in a church, if we're not careful. But don't we want to model more than that? Don't we want to teach more than that? You see, the Bible is mainly a book of reality, not simply a book of morality. God intends every moment of ministry to inspire awe of himself. And we need to invest in discipling others to observe and respond to the God of wonders beyond our galaxy. So talk often of the greatness of God. Talk often of why you're in awe in wonder of who he is in his majesty. Talk often, like the psalm exhorts, of the greatness of God and his strength and his wondrous works he's done in your life. Talk often of the greatness of God. I guess you could call it shining light in the future generations. How else do we invest? We need to call them to surrender, not survival. I think there's creeps in our thinking, this idea of, I just need to survive this life. Or the Christian life is about surviving all the stuff that's going to come our way. No, the Bible calls us to surrender to something far greater than our plans or our agenda. It's to surrender to a grander life than we could ever imagine. You see, surrender opens the door to experiencing the work of God in our life in amazing ways. 
After all, the Christian life is a living encounter with the resurrected king, so I would anticipate change. I would anticipate adventure in life as God leads us in new and exciting ways. We need to model and call this next generation to surrender their life to Jesus. That there is a cost to followership. But what awaits on the other side is so amazing we can't even describe it. And it won't be easy, but the treasures we learn and the truths that God surfaces in our mind, even when we walk through difficult times, we need to tell him we wouldn't trade it for anything. And it happened because we surrendered to his ways. I want to, and I want my children to, and all young people to do hard things for God. To step out and risk for the kingdom. To me, the Christian life is only boring when we go through the motions. But to the surrendered, it's an adventure. It's an amazing journey. And so let's invest in discipling them by calling them to a surrendered life. To be the voices or vessels that God wants to work through. Psalm 78 is much, pretty much all the Psalms, is written to a corporate group of people, which tells me one of the ways we can invest in the next generation is to emphasize community. I think the next generation is starving for community. They're twice as likely, studies tell us, to stay in a church if in their younger years they develop meaningful relationships and develop a sense of community. So many only connect on a social media level. Conversations that should be face-to-face are done on, on the internet or social media. That's not how you build community. Let's be deeper than that. Let's always seek for ways to make every effort to build a unity of spirit, to build community. We need to invest in the next generation so that they can find safe places to grow, to struggle with life to have conversations in safe places. Let's emphasize community. And when we do that, we have the brights on. And we light a road a little farther down the road to the next generation about the significance of community. How else do we invest? We resource ministry efforts. To this next generation, studies overwhelmingly show space and location matter. There's a book... I've read, it's a good little read. It's Why Church Buildings Matter is the name of the book. And this author writes that story and space matter. And space refers to the physical environment and the building matters. Design, details, even subconsciously matter to people. Why? Because people matter. That's why. There's a church in Stevens Point, Woodlands Evangelical Free Church. And uh, I know the pastor there, Pastor Berg, I'm Borg, almost said Borg, Berg, and uh, great guy, great ministry going there. Uh, and, and they had added on some years ago. And as I talked to him about that some years ago, I said, because <clears throat> they built this massive lobby, I mean, huge, had little cafe tables and like a little coffee bar. And I'm like, what, what's with that? Why, why did you build that? He said, well, we needed more space, and we noticed a younger group of people coming, many college students. And he said, we learned this. That space right there is the most used space Monday to Sunday. There are people there every single day, not just a couple, who use that space. He said, the lesson we learned is people want safe space, a safe place that they can come. 
And I never forgot that. You see, church facilities and all things about setting will not save a person from a life of sin, despair, and frustration. You know that and I know that. But a lack of attention to these can be a roadblock to reaching this next generation. Don't minimize their impact. That would be a huge mistake. Facilities tell a story. And they make a statement. And they can be a catalyst to ministry without a doubt. You and I need to invest in resourcing for ministry this next generation. Sam Rainier in an article from Church Executive Magazine writes this. The call is to envision our future, the future of present-day decisions. Of course, we can focus on the here and now, but if we can see a new facility as tools, as seeds we sow, just like our words and actions, then it adds a whole new perspective. We need to invest in resource, whether it be a new building or other ways we can do that. This next generation, we need to resource them for ministry. The reality is, whenever you enter a campaign, there's there's people all over the spectrum. You, you have some who are like, I don't think we should build. I don't think we should add on, whatever the case would be. You have some who say, you know what, I'm kind of wondering if it's the right time. I'm not quite sure. Then there's others who've already got their shovels in their hand. They're digging. So you got them all over the spectrum. But one thing we can't ignore, no matter where you're at, we can't deny it. In resourcing this next generation, if we don't, who loses? The next generation. We don't. We have it. We're pretty, we got what we want right here, right now. We got, the, we got the headlights on. Problem is, it's just on the immediate. We need to hit the brights. If we're going to invest and resource the next generation, we got to hit the brights that shine farther down the road and farther distance. Janet Moberg handed me an article, so Janet, thank you, and uh, it's from years ago, 1958 building campaign, Waldo Moberg, this kind of sounds familiar, he says the boys in his class met in the furnace room, other classes met in the sanctuary, in the balcony, in the kitchen, or any space that could be partitioned to make a classroom, so that was the dilemma, it's the dilemma today. And he says it took, creatively, took creativity to find a way to expand the church building to make more space. Waldo said it was a matter of stepping out in faith. He says the financial picture was not clear. But we got down on our knees, we prayed, and we made it. He was the chair, chairman of the building committee. And they presented the need to expand the building to the congregation. Get a load of this. They voted yes to the proposal. Three days later, the work began. That's not dragging your feet. He says the final cost of the expansion was just over 27000 This is a few years ago, okay? Obviously. He says we didn't have that kind of money. And trying to explain how the expansion was accomplished, he said this, when the need arises, people found a way to reach down deep. That's vision. That's a commitment to resource the next generation and you and I benefit today as we sit here of that investment. Waldo Moberg modeled for us what it looks like to invest in the next generation. You see, to be a light in the future generations requires us to model and invest. And when we do, we do nothing less than impact the next generation for eternity. 
What's the cost of not modeling and investing in next generation? It's far higher than you think. We're called to be a light into future generations. Last week we talked about shining. That's how we do that. We model and we invest. And when we shine, when we model, we invest, I guess you could call it, being a light into future generations. To God be the glory as you and I are and become a light into future generations. Let's pray. Lord, this week as I sat and sought to listen to you and read your word, my mind was filled with great gratitude for those who've gone before us here at Elam. And as we talk about model and the need to invest, they did it well. And as I've listened to your people since I've been here, there's so many who testified to teachers and adults who had such a great impact in their life. And Lord, we'd be remiss to not say thank you for them. We experience the benefit of their modeling and investment. Lord, our call this morning isn't just to remember but for us to turn the brights on in our life and in our church, that we would shine into the distance. Lord, we would make a commitment to model some very significant things to our young people, that they in turn would model it to their children. And Lord, you cause us to invest our time, energy, resources, that the next generation would be able to minister and have an impact in their culture with the gospel. So Lord, lead us in this. Guide us, and as we turn the dome light on in our life, would you speak to our hearts and give us ears to hear so your, your kingdom is impacted and the next generation is encouraged. It's your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.